Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yeah, what's up, friends in the room? My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us today. And everybody watching online, YouTube, Facebook, live stream, thanks for joining us today as we close out this series on 21 Days of Prayer. So today is day 21, and uh, it's uh, actually the second most important day of the whole 21 Days of Prayer. The most important day of the 21 Days of Prayer is actually day 22. That'll be tomorrow. Uh, The reason why we did 21 days of prayer is because sociologists tell us that it takes the human body 21 days of repetition to develop a habit. And so there was nothing like extraordinary or magical about 21 days other than our desire and hope is that we would pray together for 21 days and then that would result in it being a habit that we could do together for the rest of the year. So let's not close with 21 days. Tomorrow, get the, the, the prayer guide, start over, go backwards, like switch it up, pray your favorite prayers, go back and read those texts again. Uh, and it's our hope and desire that we could continue to move on beyond the 21 days. So we'd love for you to do that with us. Don't throw it away. Uh, don't just check it off the list. Like let's keep praying, keep praying together. Uh, so let's just believe that, that God is gonna do some great things. Uh, Elizabeth and I invited some friends over to our house on New Year's uh, Day. We invited them over for like a working lunch. We wanted to just dream and scheme about 2020 and what God could do and goals and just dream together about the future. And probably the most important thing that someone uh, would need to do and answer when we talk about a working lunch, when you're casting the vision for the life of the church and your life and your family's life, like there's some big things going on that day. But there was one question in particular that I really wanted to answer and that I really needed to ask that was stressing me out going into it. Uh, And if you know me, this is not going to surprise you at all. I needed to know what we were going to have for lunch. Working lunch, you may be like, what's the agenda? I'm like, what's on the menu? What are we going to eat for lunch? So I texted this buddy of mine and I said, uh, I want to read you the, the text message. I said, what's on the menu for tomorrow? You name it and I'll make it happen. He said, we're simple. Peanut butter and jelly. Soup. Tacos, which I said, you guys obviously don't take food as seriously as I do. (laughs) This is a big decision, exclamation point. How about this? Is there anything you don't like? His answer, no. I was like, I'm going to be on my own on here, so I need to, I need to really think about this. I want to have a good experience when we come over to my house. So a couple hours later, I texted him this. We're going to have steak. I'm going to noodle some zucchini, saute it with garlic and butter. We're going to do cheesy cornbread bake, honey butter croissants, and apple cobbler with ice cream. Good? In which he said, that sounds glorious. We should do lunch every day. (laughs) And I closed it out and I said, and here you were trying to eat peanut butter and jelly. That's going to be a sermon illustration. I hate to tell you that. You got to be careful what you say around me, man. I will turn it into a story and tell the masses. And we'll keep your name hidden just to protect the innocent. Uh, I mentioned it when they were were leaving. We had a good time. Uh, When they were leaving, I just mentioned it to them on the way out the door. I was like, so did you guys, uh, did you guys enjoy it? Have a good time. How about that steak? I'm not fishing for a compliment. I'm just saying, like, how was it? Uh, shoot me straight. Uh, unless you didn't think it was good, then lie to me. Uh, like, how was it? And they were like, yeah, it was good. It was great. We had a good time. And, and I left with this. I was like, and, and, and we could have had peanut butter and jelly. Like, you, we were getting ready to have peanut butter and jelly. And on the way out the door, I said, I said this. I was like, 
you have not because you ask not. We, we were going to have steak, and, and instead you, you wanted to have peanut butter and, and jelly. You know, there are sometimes uh, some things, some experiences that, we, uh, that God would like to have in our lives that he has planned for us. Uh, but did you know that there are some things that we never have and that we never experience because we don't pray and ask him for it? You, you have not because you, you ask not. I mean, like sometimes, and I, and I get it, like sometimes life just gets busy. You ever, you ever meet people that don't pray or, or don't pray very often? I have friends that don't pray or don't pray very often. And, and I get it. There are seasons in my life that I don't pray very often because I just forget about prayer. I just jump right into it. Just, just get into it. I'll handle it. I'll do it. I'll solve the problem. I'll grow. I'll, I'll make it happen. And it's not that I don't pray or don't want to pray, but you just forget you just, just assume that you can do it and, and you can handle it and, and you move forward. And so may, maybe that's you. Maybe you've been in seasons like that before. Or, or, or maybe you have friends like me that just flat out don't pray. Uh, and I'll ask them, you know, like, why don't you pray? What's, what's the reason why you don't pray? And, and oftentimes they, they have the same answer. I don't know if you have friends that don't pray or maybe you're here today and you, you don't pray. And, and like the answer is oftentimes the same. And, and they will say, Nathan, I don't pray uh, because God doesn't answer prayers. And when you dig down a little bit, here's what happens. Sometime in their past, they asked God for something specific, and they prayed, and God didn't answer, and, and therefore they don't want to pray anymore. They're just like, I tried it, and it doesn't work, and God didn't answer, and so I don't pray anymore. But when people say that, I'm reminded of a verse in, in Jeremiah chapter 33. It's actually a, a statement that God makes, and, and let me share it with you. Uh, here's what God says, call to me, and I will answer you. And tell you and even show you great and mighty things, things which have been confined and hidden, which you do not know and understand and cannot distinguish. God specifically says, call to me and I will answer you. Not I might answer you, not as long as you pray the right words, I will answer you. Not if I have time, I will answer you. Not if I feel like it, I will answer you. Not if you know enough or do it enough or say it the right way. No, no, no. God says, if you call on me, I will answer you every single time. So when you meet people that don't pray because they say prayer doesn't work, are they calling God a liar? Because I wouldn't want to do that, right? Just to hedge my bets. Even if you don't believe in God, you know, like, ah, I don't know if you want to call him a liar. Uh, just in case he does exist. Like, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the creator of the world. But I actually don't think people are calling God a liar. I, I don't think people really know what they're saying. or They're actually not saying what they mean to say when they say God doesn't answer prayers. Because you dig down a little bit, and here's what you'll learn. Most people that say God doesn't answer prayers really mean this. I prayed and God didn't give me what I wanted. Now that's very different. You got it? Like when I was growing up and, and I would go up and ask my mom for something and my mom told me no, I would go up and ask my dad next, but I wouldn't tell him mom didn't give me an answer. I'd say mom told me no. You know, there's a big difference between God not answering you and God not giving you what you want. If you say that you have prayed in the past and God did not give you what you wanted, I'm 100% with you. I've done that before, done it a lot, where I've asked God for things and I've prayed and he said no, or he didn't give me what I wanted, or it was some different answer than, than what I wanted. But we got to be clear, God answers every single one of our prayers. Call out to me and I will answer you. Every single prayer you've ever prayed, God has answered. Now, he might not get you the answer that you wanted or the answer that you were hoping for, but he answers every single prayer. 
one of the most influential and powerful experts on prayer uh, that, that has lived in, in my lifetime uh, was a man by the name of St. Garth Brooks. He said, I thank God for unanswered prayers. But St. Brooks wasn't saying that God didn't answer his prayers. If you read his writings and, and listen to his songs, he's not saying that God didn't answer. He said, I'm just thankful that sometimes God said no to the answers that I have. It's not that he didn't answer. I'm just, I just asked for some things, and maybe they were good, maybe they were bad, maybe they were immature. But thankfully, thank goodness, God said no to those things. Sometimes when we pray, God says no. But God rarely says no and doesn't give us an explanation at the end. I want to share with you today a few different answers to prayer. I want to, I want to show you and tell you how God answers our prayers in hopes that when you pray, like you can, you can like accept the fact that God never leaves himself silent. Like God, it's not like he doesn't answer you, but you just have to understand and be able to identify the answers that God does give when we pray because he answers us every single time that we pray. Here's some of the answers. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is no. But the first no is this, no, because I love you too much. Your parents probably told you that growing up. If you're a parent, you've probably told your kid that. They asked for something, and they said, no. The answer is no, because I love you too much. I don't want you to hurt yourself. Uh, you don't understand everything that goes on with that prayer, with that request. You don't understand what happens. And so sometimes God says, I'm trying to protect you. And so the answer is no. I love you too much. The second answer is this, no, because I have something better planned. Sometimes we get so short-sighted in our prayers. We get so like tunnel vision, immediate, right here, right now, that we begin to pray prayers. And God says, no, because I've got something better. No, because what you're praying is just okay, and that would be a temporary fix. But what I'm going to give you, it's not that. It is so much bigger. It is so much better. It's so much more effective than the prayer that you're praying. And so sometimes God says, no, I have something much better planned. And the, the third one is really hard. God has said this to you. I know God has said this to me as well. Sometimes God says, no, because you need to grow. No, because you need to, to grow. Let me give you an example um, if I got in my car with my daughter right after the service and we began to drive home, just imagine that my older daughter said, uh, Dad, uh, will you give me a $1 bill? Like, will you give me some money? And I reach into my little coin drawer and I get her a $1 bill and I, and I give it to her in the back seat. And, and she's sitting there in her booster seat and, and imagine her rolling the window down and crumpling up the $1 bill and throwing it out the window and rolling the window back up. And then imagine her saying again, Dad, can I have a dollar? Am I going to give her one? No. Because if you wasted the one dollar that I already gave you, then why would I give you more? Some people are praying and asking God for more money or a better situation or a better life or whatever. And the reality is we aren't being very good stewards of what God has already given us. And so why would God give us even more for us to waste it again? It's quiet in the room. I'm going to talk to y'all online. Why would God? <laughs> Some of you are praying for a spouse. Like I, I meet with, with guys that, that will come into my office and they'll be like, hey, man, I, I really want a spouse. I'd really like to get married one day. And the first question I ask him, I turn it on them. I say, hey, man, tell me about your relationship with God. Is it growing? Man, tell me about your finances. 
Are you honoring God with your money? Are you saving? Or, or do you just spend everything you have? Uh, man, do you have something built up? Like, tell me how you're taking care of yourself. And, and man, unfortunately, a lot of times the answers in that category are negative. Well, I don't, I don't have any money. Well, I'm, I'm in real bad debt, or I'm, I'm not really growing spiritually. And so my response is this, is like, man, you should, you should probably stop asking God for a girl because the last thing that God wants to do is bring one of his daughters into your wreck. The answer is no until you grow. So the answer is no. We'll pray sometimes. God, give me more. Give me a better job. Give me a better wife. <laughs> give me a better something. Give me better anything. And God says no until you can prove to me that you can be a good steward of what I've already given you. Then the answer is no. The answer is no until you grow. Now, I don't like to be told no anytime. Nobody likes to be told no, especially by God. And so sometimes... When God tells us no, we get mad, we get bent out of shape, we begin to call him names, we will walk away from him. But this is the time when you pray and God says no. This is the time where you got to dig in and say, all right, God, what's, what's behind the no? Are you going to have enough faith and trust in God to say, God, maybe the reason is no because you love me. Maybe the reason is no because God has, obviously God has something better planned for me. So I'm just going to have to trust him. Maybe God is telling me no because he's telling me that there's some areas in my life that I need to grow, man. I just need to grow up. I need to mature. I need to be a good steward of what I have right now. And then maybe one day God can trust me with more, whether it's relationships or money or power or influence, whatever it is. Like, let me just be a good steward with, with that. And so when God says no to our prayers, that's the time where we got to jump in and say, like, I know it, it, it takes some spiritual maturity to say, all right, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you doing? What do you see that I can't see? And even though you told me no, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you in it. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. And I would argue that some of those times, the, the most gracious and kind thing that God could ever do for us is to tell us no when we ask things. But sometimes when we pray, the answer is yes. Those are good times. I want to look at a story in the book of Luke chapter 8 today. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it or words will be up on the screen or pull it up on your Bible phone. Uh, get, get to it. Luke chapter 8, either way. Um, Jesus answers the prayers of two people, two very different people in two very different situations. And he tells them in this story, like, I see almost every different way that God says yes to us when we pray. It's interesting. Some people may look at this story and say, this is a story about miracles. Some people may read this story and say, well, this is a story obviously about faith. I read Luke chapter 8 and say, I think this story is a story about what we can learn through prayer. What is God teaching us? How does God answer our prayers, and how can we look at that? The story starts in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Check this out. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him, to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. It's the absolute, absolute worst case scenario for this dad. It cannot get any worse than this. His daughter is sick and close to death. Scripture tells us he's a synagogue leader, which tells us two things. He's very wealthy and very powerful, yet all of the money in the world and all of the power and influence can do nothing for his daughter. And so what does he do? He comes to Jesus, pleads with Jesus. And by that last verse, we see that Jesus 
says yes, because he starts to make his way through the crowd to this man's house. He's following Jairus. I'll come with you. That's the first yes that God gives us in this story. If you're taking notes, jot this down. After the three no's, this first yes in this story is this, yes, I'll walk with you. Sometimes you and I pray and we ask God for things and God says, yes, I'll be with you. Yes, I'll, I'll walk with you. Jesus did something incredible for Jairus. He said, I'll be with you. You want me to come to your house? Let's walk together. Let's go. You, you got my attention. I, I'm right here by your side. Lead me to where your, where your daughter is. Let's do this together. Jesus does something really powerful here. He gives Jairus his presence. In what would be the darkest night of this man's soul, the Savior of the world shows up and says, you don't have to do it alone. I'll be with you. I'm right here. Yeah, you, you got me. Let's go. Let's, let's walk together. Oftentimes, God answers our prayers by saying, yes, I'll be with you. Yes, let, let's walk together. There are some steps that we need to take before the prayer gets answered. Some of you may be praying about your marriage, and God says, yes, I'll be with you. But there are some steps that you need to take in order to turn this thing around. Some of you are making hard decisions and praying about your finances, and God says, look, I got you. You don't have to do this alone. Just trust me. I'm with you, but there are some steps that need to be taken in order for us to see some results of this. There are some steps that need to be taken if you want to experience some real life change in your life. And so oftentimes we will cry out to God. We'll pray, but God, help me. And God does this. Yes, I'm here. In Scripture, we, we read that God promises us his presence. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm, I'm right here. I will never abandon you. I'm here for peace. I'm here for comfort. I got you. You don't have to go through this alone. And I would argue that for Jairus, that was the, the greatest way that Jesus could have answered. In a life where he probably felt like he was alone, I have done everything I can think of to have Jesus look at him and say, I'll come with you. I'll be right here by your side. I won't leave you. Let's do this together. Let's, let's take some steps. Would have been an incredible, incredible response. And sometimes Jesus looks at us in response to our prayers and says, yeah, I'm with you. I got your back. My presence is here with you. As they were pushing their way through the crowd, many people would crowd around Jesus. They want to hear him. Uh, they want to see what he can do. They want to hear his messages. And so they're all kind of crushing around him as he's trying to follow Jairus to his house. Here's what the story says. And a, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. I love that. That's typical Peter. <laughs> Peter's like, who touched me? Uh, everybody's touching us, right? <laughs> like, like, we are getting crowded. I'm being touched right now in places that I don't think are right. Like, I don't know. We're being crowded, Jesus. People are surrounding. Like, we're running security detail, and we're just trying to push you through the crowd. What do you mean, who's touching me? Like, everybody's touching you. I can't help it. And Jesus says, no, no, listen. Listen, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Sometimes you and I pray, and here's the second response that God gives us. Uh, yes, and I thought you'd never ask. 
The answer is yes, and, and I thought you'd never ask. Billy Graham once said this, heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one ever bothered to ask. For some of you, uh, the prayers have not been answered in your life because the prayers never got prayed. This same story appears in the book of Mark as well in Scripture, but it includes two additional details that Luke doesn't uh, include. Mark 5 tells us that over the 12 years of this woman's illness, uh, that she spent every dime she had with doctors trying to be healed. So she is completely bankrupt right now. And number two, she had to undergo incredible stress in the procedures, in the doctors, and the things that she tried for her body to be healed. I mean, this woman is financially bankrupt. She is emotionally bankrupt. She is physically bankrupt. Like it is for 12 years, she has tried every doctor, every medicine, every possible solution. And when she had nothing else to do, in one powerful act of faith, her life was changed. God answered her prayer, even though for the previous 12 years, she had gone to everyone else first except God. And when she reached out to be healed, God said, yeah, what took you so long? Why'd you go to all those other people first? Why'd you blow all your money? Why'd you blow all of the emotional equity that you have? Like, why, why didn't you pray first? Like, of course, the answer is yes, but I'm just trying to figure out, you've been on a long road the last 12 years, and this is the first time you're asking? Man, the answer, the answer is yes, and, and man, you, you got great faith. You came, you should have done it earlier. Sometimes when we pray, God says, yes, uh, I wish you to come earlier. Yes, it's, it's absolutely about, about time. So this woman is healed in the middle of this huge crowd. Like, I wish I would have been there. I wish I could have seen this miracle. I mean, this woman, like, just deathly ill. And Jesus heals her. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And everybody's like, oh, what is he talking about? What's going on here? And then the woman says, I used to have this disease, and I don't have it anymore. It was an obvious physical illness, and it's gone. Jesus, praise God. Like, can you imagine the response from people? Like, first of all, it would have been shock. Then people would have been clapping and celebrating, and then like maybe people were crying, and, and maybe people then were started texting their friends, like, anybody got a cold? Bring it to this man. Like, he will heal you on the spot. I'm going to bring all my sick friends to this guy. Man, what an incredible moment. It would have been great for you and I. It was great for everybody, except Jairus. Because Jairus would have been standing there and saying, oh, hey, great, man. Thank what about me, Jesus? I thought you were, I thought you were gonna help me. Man, look, I know the church answers, guys. <laughs> I know when God does something in somebody else's life, we're supposed to be excited about it. And well, God bless you, and I'm so thankful for you. And so, but but have you ever prayed and asked God for something big? And then it feels like somebody cut in line in front of you. You ever been pouring out your heart to God and you, you feel like you're doing everything that God has told you to do and trying to live in a way that, that honors him and puts great faith in him, but, but it seems like that God is blessing everyone else around you and not you? You ever been there in prayer? You ever seen that? Like, I know we're supposed to be excited, but, but sometimes it's difficult to see when God seems to be answering everyone else's prayer except mine. Like, you're, you're single and all your friends are getting married and you're like, God, what's up? You're praying for a new job to kind of get some financial breakthrough and everybody else in your office is getting a raise and a promotion and like they don't even love Jesus. Like they don't even care about it. Like why are they getting honored by God and they won't answer my prayers? What's up? Where are you, God? Do you even care? Do you even know I'm here? 
Do you even see me? You ever been there? Maybe that's where Jairus was. Hey, God, I, I thought you said you'd help me. Man, I asked you. I came to you, and you said yes. And now, like, you're, you're helping some other person, and, like, it feels like she jumped in front of me, and she got, that could have been mine, and she got, she got my, my blessing. It's ironic how even stories of life change and God providing for other people, stories that are supposed to be encouraging and uplifting to us can actually discourage us and can leave us feel like God forgot us and God doesn't care. And, and maybe he's just moved on. Maybe the door is closed. I, listen, I know, I know we're supposed to be excited for other people when God hooks them up. But if we're not careful when that happens, when we've been praying and calling and asking God and we feel like God said yes and we're just waiting for him, sometimes the waiting can lead to bitterness and resentment and discouragement and turning your back and leaving God altogether. Let's look at, at how Jairus responds. See, waiting either fills us with great expectation or it can fill us with great discouragement. And, and here's what happened to Jairus. While Jesus was still speaking, like the words were still coming out of his mouth, woman, your faith has healed you. Everybody erupts in applause. This is amazing. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead. Hey, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe, and she will be healed. Why bother Jesus anymore? Why trouble him? I don't know if you've ever been there in your prayer life, but sometimes it feels like we are so long gone, the situation is so dark, it is so impossible. The odds are stacked against us. We can trick ourselves into just skipping prayer altogether. Why even bother God? If he could have done it, he would have done it already. He doesn't care. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's dead. It's gone. All hope is lost. Forget about it. Ever been there? Ever prayed so long and so hard about something and waited for so long that you finally got to the point where you're just like, I don't, don't even worry about it. It doesn't work. These men came up and told that, don't even bother the teacher, don't even bother to ask, don't even bother to pray anymore. And Jesus gives Jairus an answer that I know he has given me many times and that he's probably given you in this room as well. The, the next answer is this, yes, but you'll have to wait. Yes, the answer is yes, just not right now. Yes, you'll have to wait. Jesus was very clear that he would walk with Jairus to his daughter's house, but Jesus was very flexible with the timeline. He was very flexible with when he would actually answer the prayer. It does not take long in your relationship with God to realize that God operates on a very different schedule than you and I do. We see things in timelines and deadlines, and God is above those things. So oftentimes we'll put a deadline on our prayer, or we'll say, I'm only going to pray for this long or for this amount of time. And if God doesn't answer, if God doesn't come through, then, then maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's not going to, to work. Jairus had a deadline for his daughter. you got to heal this girl before she dies. That's the deadline, right? As long as she doesn't die, you can still hear her. But what happens when you get the news that the daughter had died? God, you didn't meet my deadline. 
You didn't do it when I needed you to do it. And that's when Jesus would have popped in and said, well, actually, typical deadlines really don't apply to me. Death and I have this weird relationship. You'll learn about it later. And he looked at Jairus and um, said, just believe. Now, see, in our world, we're used to waiting. We have to wait for everything. The dangerous thing isn't waiting. It's what happens in our hearts while we wait. Because while we wait, different things creep in. Frustration creeps in. Discouragement creeps in. Impatience, selfishness, anger. All of these things can be the same things that after we wait on God, we'll start feeling towards him. Where are you, God? Are you going to do it? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you produce the results? Why didn't you do what I needed you to do when I needed you to do it? But Jesus looks at Jairus and says, the answer is yes, but you'll have to wait. you got to be on my timeline for it. Sometimes answers to prayers and blessings by God are delayed because God wants to see your heart. You see, I've learned this the hard way (laughs) many times over. Uh, God is more interested in what he wants to do in you than what he wants to do for you. And I know sometimes when you pray, the request is that he would meet an immediate need. But you got to understand, God's not just interested in meeting immediate needs. He's interested in molding you into the man or the woman that he's called you to be. And sometimes that process only comes through waiting. He wants to do something. In your, he doesn't want to meet a need. He wants to change your life. It's not just about physical things. It's about what he wants to do in our heart and soul. And sometimes those things can only be accomplished When God looks at you and says, the answer is yes, just not right now. Yes, but wait on me. Yes, but trust me in the process. And in that process of waiting, we begin to trust God. We begin to learn things about God. We press into him and lean into him and understand him more. Sometimes answers to prayer and blessings are delayed. He waits on purpose because he wants to do something in you. Sometimes that process can only be accomplished in a season of waiting where you continue to pray, where you can continue to trust. See, when God says wait, he's not trying to break your faith or ignore your faith. He's trying to strengthen it. He's trying to make it go deeper. He's trying to cultivate faith in you. And oftentimes when we pray, God says the answer is yes, but, but wait, not right now. 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, He did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Imagine it. Jesus rolls up into this house. Everybody is crying. It's just like like the, the daughter has died. The grandparents are there. Maybe the grandparents are crying because their granddaughter has died. And Jesus shows up. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. (laughs) Jesus shows up. He's like, Why is everybody crying? Like, worst bedside manner ever. <laughs> What's the deal? Why are y'all crying? Well, y'all are ugly criers. You should stop that. So loud. I've never seen somebody wail so loud in my life. And can you imagine if that happened today? A family loses a, a, a close family member, and the, the family goes to the funeral home, and the funeral home calls Pastor Jesus, and, hey, Pastor, we need you to come up here, and, like, can you just come and pray over the family or console them or give them some scripture? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll be right there. He rolls up into the funeral home, throws the doors open. He's like, what's up? What's up, party people? What are y'all doing? What's good? Why is everybody crying? Why is everybody wearing dark suits? Why is there weird organ music in the background? What's going on here? And people are just overwhelmed. 
and convinced that life is over. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you're convinced that the dream, the desire, the passion, the prayer is dead. It's completely dead. And it feels like life is over and hope is, is out. And then Jesus walks into your life and says, why are you crying? The dream's not dead. You just need a savior to walk in and wake it up. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he enters into Jairus' situation. Your life is not over. You are not beyond hope. You just need a savior to come in and shake things up. You need Jesus to do something. So Jesus kicks everyone out of the room. Only three disciples and the mother and the father are, are allowed in there. Everyone else he, he kicks out. Um, some of you, man, there's a, a truth that we can learn from this. Uh, some of you don't have the strong, deep faith that you desire to have because you have surrounded yourself with faithless people. And Jesus understands, hey, Jairus, I need for you to believe that I'm going to do something. And when you've surrounded yourself with critics and haters, it affects your faith. So do me a favor and put them out. He wasn't trying to be rude. Jesus understood that sometimes in order to get positive results in your life, you have to get the negative people out. And so he says, you don't believe, get them out. Ask them to leave. Like surround yourself with the people that believe God can do things, that have the faith because their faith will be contagious for you. They will encourage your faith. They will build your faith. Instead of surrounding yourself with people that says, why bother? There's nothing that can do anything about it. You're hosed. You might as well quit. You might as well stop. Jairus was confronted with that, and Jesus just kind of walks in and says, man, I'm not trying to be rude, but why don't y'all leave? <laughs> why, don't y'all, why don't y'all get out? Last two verses, they, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he, <laughs> but Jesus, took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Hey, I've learned something about laughing at Jesus. Uh, he always gets the last laugh. <laughs> Seems like everybody in Scripture that laughed at God or laughed at Jesus and said, you can't do it, Jesus turns around and always got the last laugh. You see, Jesus was trying to do something. In the whole process, he was doing something. He was doing something in the life of Jairus. He was doing something in the life of the family. He was doing something for the public that was watching. He wanted to do something for the disciples that he had. Jesus was just confidently and calmly saying, death may have spoken into your life, but Jesus has the final word. I know that some of you feel like death has spoken into your life, spoken into your marriage, spoken into your career, spoken into your hopes and dreams, spoken into your future. I get it. But I'm going to tell you, friends, even when death whispers, Jesus has the final word. He always does. You can laugh, you can scoff, you can say, why bother? Or you can put your faith in him, the expert that is known for bringing things back to life. And so Jairus chose to put his faith and his hope in him. Jesus had something to teach him. And it was the last answer to the prayer that they had. When everything is in place, then God will say yes. Sometimes when everything is in place, when our heart is positioned in the right way, when all of the witnesses are around, when God comes to the time where he wants to move, the answer will be yes, period. When God says yes, he's orchestrated everything, woven the whole story together to accomplish everything in us and through us that he wants. And he finally says, yes. <laughs> I love this detail at the end. It just proves that God is not just interested in the big things, 
the big hurts, the big fears, the large things in our life, but he's interested in the small things as well. He looks at the girl and says, hey, uh, come back to life. He heals her. He brings her back to life and then looks at her mom and says, man, she's, she's been in the bed for like three or four days. You should get her something to eat. What do you want? Peanut butter and jelly? Soup? Tacos? Jesus even saw the smallest needs that we have in our life and said, now I'll only change your life, but I'll even look after your physical hungers as well. What a God. What a God that we pray to. I want to encourage you this morning. It's time to turn to Jesus. You got a choice to make. You can either say today, stop bothering him. It doesn't matter. It's too far gone. Why bother God? Or you can look and say, I still believe. Just believe. Just trust that God has a plan. Just trust that he knows what he's doing. Just trust that in his timing, when everything is together, then he always comes through. That's my hope and my prayer for you, not just over these 21 days, but as we continue to journey as a faith family and pray every day, calling out to God, because he answers every time you call, he will answer. Let's trust in the one that answers everything and every time.